1: Hey everybody, it's Dan Lobby. This is our post-game edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, this is a post-game show that we do exclusively for our Football Insider subscribers. Uh, they call into a Zoom after the game and they get to participate and watch us record the podcast, ask their questions. Uh, it's a lot of fun. If you want to get involved, you got to check out Football Insider. Of course, you get to be a part of things like this. We also do a PIX Pod where we invite an Insider on, so uh, lots of opportunities to be a part of the podcast, but also... You get texts from me, Mary Kay, Scott, and Ellis. Uh, you also get access to exclusive content on the website. And then you get a newsletter every day emailed to you. It's exclusive content there as well that, that nobody else gets. It's only in that email newsletter. So head over to cleveland.com Browns. There's a blue banner at the top of the page. If you click on that, you can get all the details and get yourself signed up for Football Insider. Now, here's our show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our post-game Orange Brown Talk podcast. It is, of course, Sunday as we're recording this. Maybe Monday as you're listening to this, the Browns 32-23 winners over the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday here at First Energy Stadium. I am Dan Lobby. I'm joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you?
2: I'm doing great, Dan. How you doing?
1: Doing well. Uh, another Browns win to talk about. This is getting kind of old, actually. Just talking <laughs> about wins. Four in a row. They're now four and one. Um, and, and let's just start here. This has to be their best win so far of all of all the games here. Cincinnati, uh, Dallas, Washington. This win on, on a lot of levels to me is easily the most impressive
2: of the bunch. Yeah, this was pretty darn impressive because you had a lot of guys coming through for you and making big plays in, you know, some unlikely guys in some situations. We're used to Miles Garrett making the game-changing play, right? But today you had Ronnie Harrison starting his very first game for the Cleveland Browns in place of Carl Joseph, and he comes up huge with the, uh, you know, with the 47-yard interception return for a touchdown. Good for him. That was amazing. Of course, it was followed up by the 101-yard kickoff return. Right. I, I, I still continue to be amazed that the special teams does things like that, but uh, that was unfortunate. Then Sheldrick Redwine comes up with the pick. So it was a game like that, Dan, where, where guys like that stepped up and made plays, and there's just something kind of special about this football team.
1: I, I think the thing is that, that really impressed me is, so you mentioned it, right? They had that big kickoff return. And it came after the pick six, and this team could have folded. And I think there were moments throughout this game where this team could have folded. And in years past, maybe they would have folded, but they didn't. And it just kind of hit me, and it's what I wrote about after the game. The Colts are a really good football team. I mean, they're a team that will be in the playoff line and likely be in the playoffs. And the Browns found multiple ways to, to generate plays that could win this football game.
2: Yeah, you know, once again, you know, you did have another big, huge play by Miles Garrett. Now this time, you know, they tried to double team him. They tried to keep him off of Phillip. Anytime that you pin a team back, you know, when it, when you are, they are stuck up against their own end zone. It's always so dangerous, especially when you have a defensive line like the Browns. And sure enough, after Jamie Gillum, Gillum pinned them back there at their four, there was Philip trying to pass out of his own end zone. Miles Garrett gets to him, hits him, forces him uh, to throw the ball away. He gets an intentional grounding for two points for a safety that makes it 29 to 20. That was absolutely huge. That was just that basically made it a two-score game at that point when they had started to gain some momentum. I mean, you know, they picked off Baker Mayfield after the uh, after that kickoff return. Uh, You know, they picked off Baker Mayfield twice in this game. So this was not out of the woods by any stretch. Then Baker comes through. I mean, Miles comes through with that big, huge hit on Phillips. So once again, you're getting big plays. Another thing that I think we need to mention pretty quickly here, Dan, is Baker Mayfield, first of all, he has a rib injury. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen with that. He would not say what the results of the x-rays were. Usually you know what the x-ray results are.
1: I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, the Browns just said the x-rays on Baker's ribs were negative.
2: Oh okay okay so I
1: uh, literally just just uh, got sent out.
2: Okay, okay um, So x-rays negative um, that's you know that's a really 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 good thing but um, you know he's gonna be a little sore, but he talked about how he um, absolutely played his worst game of the five so far. And, you know, I kind of have to agree with him. He threw two picks. He overthrew Odell in the end zone a couple of times. He overthrew Austin Hooper a couple of times. He has to play better than this if they want to keep this thing rolling along.
1: And, you know, it's funny in the first half, especially he got off to a really good start. And I think that's one of the things that I take away from this game is this team has been so run heavy and so reliant on the running game. And of course, we know Nick Chubb was out today. Uh, but it was pretty clear that they weren't going to be able to run the ball early in this game against this team. And I think it's, it's a testament to this coaching staff that they came out and they decided, you know what, we're going to attack this team through the air, we're going to rely on Baker Mayfield. I'm flipping through the game book here. He threw 28 passes in the first half, which, if we're being honest, on a week-to-week basis is probably too many. Uh, but that's how they wanted to attack him today, and that's or attack the Colts today, and how they needed to attack early, and I'm just really impressed Um, with this coaching staff that they were flexible and they came up with a way to attack this team uh, differently than they have been.
2: Yeah, and, th- and I think that's what they're going to do. I think that's the hallmark of this coaching staff is that they are going to surprise you. They're going to go against conventional wisdom. When you think necessarily that they're going to focus on the run, they might focus on the pass. When you think that they're going to go two tight ends, they go through three wides. So the other team doesn't know what they're doing offensively or defensively. The other thing is that they are attacking. They continue to attack, attack, attack. They scored on all of their possessions in the first half. Uh, that was vitally important because if they hadn't been able to do that, when Baker started to kind of falter in the second half, they might not have made it through, but they, they got what they needed to do in the first half. The other thing I think that's important about, about the first half, Dan, was, boy, those Pro Bowl skill players of his were coming up with amazing catches that a lot of other guys would not have made in that situation. There was some blanket coverage and they were winning those contested balls. And they were kind of, in some ways, maybe even bailing out Baker a little bit in those situations. Those were tough, tough catches to make in that first half.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that was actually the next place I was going to go. Uh, Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry. Jarvis had those two really tough drops in the second half. They end up not coming back to, to hurt this team. Uh, but in that first half, you know, that catch by Odell that got challenged, um, you know, Jarvis made some great catches. It's, it's just a reminder that this team has a lot of talent around Baker Mayfield, and that's the way it's supposed to be. When, when you have a young quarterback that you're trying to build around, support him, hold him up, you know, make, make sure that that guy has players who can help him when he needs help. And it, it certainly made his first half line look a lot better today to have those two guys out there, especially.
2: Yes, absolutely. 100%. But uh, again, it didn't hold up throughout the second half. Uh, he has to be able to match them at where they're at, right? I mean, these guys, guys are Pro Bowl players that are ready to take this team to the next level. And he's got to meet them there. He's got to meet them there. He, he's got to not be overthrowing Odell twice in the end zone not overthrowing austin hooper he has got to be not be throwing picks like that a couple of i mean those picks were uh some really bad throws so he owns it he admits it i shouldn't be harping on him so much in a loss like this i mean in a victory like this uh but again if you want to get to where you want to go then your quarterback uh has you know has to come up with better than a 72.7 rating he's got to be able to join rest of these stars in getting to the promised land so you know it's kind of back to the drawing board for him hopefully he's not too too sore to really get a good practice weekend because they're going to need it against this Steelers team this is a really good Steelers football team they're about to play
1: this is going to be an exciting game I'm excited for this week ahead Um, you know one of the things that I, I do think we need to talk about is all the guys that stepped up we mentioned them a little bit Ronnie Harrison right Thrust in action. Richard Higgins has a touchdown catch today. Uh, Sheldrick Redwine hasn't played a single defensive snap before today. Comes up with an interception. Chris Hubbard asked to play uh, right guard. Comes in and, and plays really well. Um, I, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody else, too. They Oh, Dearness Johnson had the big run at the end. He, he didn't have a great day, but then when they needed him, he gets a block from Higgins, gets around the edge, and, and has a, I believe it was a 28-yard run to essentially clinch the game Yes, Uh, they're getting contributions from guys that maybe when you go into the week, you're thinking, I, you don't know what you're going to get from them. And that's also the sign of a team that kind of trusts each other and and has each other's backs.
2: Yes, it's a sign of a a team that has all of that, that they're working hard for each other. And it's also the sign of a team that's pretty darn deep in certain areas. I mean, to be able to get down to, uh, you know, some of the players that they were playing with at certain spots. Uh, they still got some really, really good play out of those guys. And I think that is vitally important. You can get down to a Richard Higgins, who's, you know, kind of down on the depth chart now, but he's going to step in. And we've talked about this a lot, Dan, he's got a nose for the end zone, whatever. I mean, Rashard right. Higgins, he catches touchdown passes and there's just <laughs> a lot to be said for that. It overcomes a lot of other things. Sure. He might not be the fastest guy in the world. He might not be this or that, but You know, there are times where, you know, you just need a touchdown and he's going to get that for you. As you mentioned, Sheldrick Redwine. These guys are unselfish. They are, uh, you know, they're not complaining about the fact that they're not playing. Did we ever hear one word from Rashard Higgins that he was inactive for the last two weeks? No, he put his head down. He went to work. Sheldon Redwine, he started five games last year. Did he say anything about the fact that he has not played one defensive snap this year, even though the safety play has not been good at all? No, he never complained, didn't say a word, goes in and gets a huge, huge interception in this game. There's a team and sort of family feeling about this football team that I think will serve them well.
1: Okay, uh, Mary-Kate, Doug just jumped in the room, so we will let you go, because I know that you've got to go write a little more about Baker Mayfield and those x-rays. So yep. uh, we'll get you out of here. I'll bring Doug in. Uh, I'll talk to you in a few minutes.
2: Okay, sounds good. Thanks, guys.
1: And uh, now we bring on Doug, and yeah, this is the part where all of you uh, joining and watching, uh, you can jump on if you want. Use that raise hand feature. You can turn on your camera if you want, because we do like to see you guys. Uh, it's just in that first few minutes, Uh, This is how the sausage is made. We do a little video for our our Browns YouTube channel. So uh, we we try to keep the video traffic to a minimum there in the beginning. But uh, if you want to jump on video, if you're able to, if I don't have the settings, uh, there we go. We got some folks jumping on. You're welcome. You can use raise hand function. Uh, If you can find it, click on participants down on the bottom to open that up. And there should be a raise hand function. Or if you can't find that, use one of those uh, little reactions or something. I'll be able to see that uh, on the screen. Okay, Doug. Welcome aboard. Uh, Browns, right, are, Browns are Browns 32, 23 winners. Completely strange, weird score. Uh, I, I guess just your initial thoughts on this.
3: So I thought it was fascinating that the game came down to what I think a lot of us thought it would come down to, which is them trying to run the ball to put the game away without Nick Chubb. It's a third and nine with two and a half minutes left. They have to get a first down or they're going to have to give it back to the Colts. And they're handing it off to Dearness Johnson, who to that point had done nothing that would have made me thought, think that he's going to get the first down here. He, I mean, if, and I, I would love to get into at some point, how much we think they did or did not miss Nick Chubb today. And on this critical play with the game in hand, this team that had run the ball to put games away, they give it to their third string running back. They get a lead block by their backup right guard who's playing because their guard who's been on all pro is out. And then they get a block. Rashard Higgins blocks two guys on the play and springs Dearness Johnson for this 28 yard run. They couldn't run it today. And I, I still don't have a handle on whether how much of that was the Colts defense and how much of that was missing Wyatt Teller and missing, especially Nick Chubb. But in that moment, I can't believe they did it. Like they, they did exactly what they needed to do at the moment they needed to do it to put away a good team. And here they are, they're four and one.
1: And and to me, that's one of the stories of the game is the guys that stepped up. And and you mentioned a bunch of them, Uh, Higgins, you know, Dearness Johnson on that one run, Um, Chris Hubbard, kind of the, the forgotten guy, right? He, he came in and played right guard. Um, And then you got Sheldrick Redwine, you got Ronnie Harrison, who hasn't been playing a whole lot, has a huge pick six. It really is the guys that you didn't expect that you didn't write down and say, well, if the Browns are going to win, it's going to be because of this guy. But it was because of a lot of those guys that aren't big names, aren't household names, and they stepped up and made plays.
3: And this is the thing we go back to all the time. It's like those guys in the middle and the, and the bottom of the roster. You know, the Browns some years have had a couple stars, you know, and, but a couple stars isn't enough to win. Right. I mean, they can get you a couple, but if you're going to be a winning team, you do need contributions across the board. And so listen, they're still going to have games. It's I, I don't know that like Sheldrick Redwine and, and Rashard Higgins and Chris Hubbard are like long-term answers. I don't, I don't know that I want any of them playing all the time, but the point is like in the moment when they needed to play a couple snaps, they could do it and they could help you win.
1: Okay. We're going to, uh, let's see. Scott is jumping in here as well. So I'm going to get him set up. And while I do that, I'm gonna to go to one of these raised hands. I'm gonna to go to Tyson. Uh, you're gonna get an ask to unmute or a prompt to unmute when you do that. Uh, you can go ahead. Uh, I guess for me,
3: uh, first off, uh, Romeo Carmel won, which is great. Um, it's not too often the Browns and Romeo win in the same week. So that's fantastic.
1: Well, except for 2007.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> that didn't happen very much so. Um, <laughs> but uh, my question is, what I'm concerned with is the second half the Colts changed their defense philosophy
1: and they pressed the Browns. The two teams are our division, uh, the Ravens and Steelers, that's how they like to put the play. Should I be concerned for the rest of the season against the Browns? I mean, the Ravens and the Steelers? So I'm gonna go uh, this direction with that. Um, I actually was really impressed. And Doug, I'm curious what your thoughts are on And Scott, as I said, joined us here as, as well too. I was really impressed with how this coaching staff attacked early in the game. I think they kind of knew, Hey, it's going to be really hard to run the football against this team. Kareem Hunt had eight carries for 16 yards uh, in the first half. And they had Baker Mayfield throw the ball 28 times. And it wasn't, they weren't stressful throws. They were, you know, in rhythm. They were throws that were high percentage. They weren't asking him to do too much. Obviously got a ton of help from, from Jarvis and Odell. I was really impressed that, uh, that the Browns took that approach early in the game. I think that was good coaching. Now to your point, Tyson, I guarantee that Mike Tomlin and, and uh, John Harbaugh and, and everybody else is, they're going to continue to challenge Baker Mayfield to try to beat them. And that's just the life of a, of a young quarterback who still has a lot to prove. I, I still think they're going to challenge Baker to beat them.
3: Can I, can I answer the question by avoiding the question, which is practically the point possibly they don't have to beat the Ravens and the Steelers. Like maybe the Ravens and the Steelers completely shut them down. I think if they can win one against one of the four, so they've already lost one, if they can go one and two in the last three games against the Steelers and the Ravens, they're going to beat a lot of other teams like this. Listen, the Ravens made Joe Burrow's life a living night hellscape today And I know he's a rookie, but like the Ravens get after people and we know how good TJ Watt and Cam Hayward and every, and the Steelers defense is. So I think Tyson, you ask a great question, but that's almost like a, that's like a 12 and four. Can they win the division question? You know, I follow smart NFL analysts on Twitter who are saying legitimately, this might be the best division in the NFL. This division, especially with, with seven playoff teams very well might put three teams in the playoffs. So I don't want to avoid your question. I don't have a great answer to your question, except other than, yeah, maybe they lose to those teams and they still win 10 games and make the playoffs. And then, you know what, they can figure that out next year. So this is in the process. That is, it's a tough ask, but there's going to be a lot of other mediocre teams who are going to have a much more difficult time trying to stop this Browns offense.
1: Well, I'll tell you who does know if they're going to win 10 games and make the playoffs and it's Scott Patsco,
3: because he is
1: our local psychic, our official staff psychic.
0: <laughs> <Apparently>. uh,
1: <laughs> if you read, if you read his, uh, I don't even know what to call it. Your, your prediction, your
4: game My spoiler, record, alert. spoiler
1: alert, uh, yeah. he spoiled the game for you. You, you knew what was going to happen today. Scott, I, I don't know if you heard all of Tyson's question, but uh, yeah, I did.
4: I did. Um, I think if you're talking about, you know, the Ravens and the Steelers, you, if you're those teams, I think you look at this game and you come away maybe with more issues because the Browns won a game today where nothing they usually do really worked on offense. You know, they proved that they can pass and they proved that they could put it on Baker Mayfield's shoulders, at least in the first half and, and, you know, rack up almost 300 yards of offense. And uh, you know, if you're the Ravens or the Steelers, you know that obviously you want to shut down the run, but now Baker Mayfield has shown that yes, he can flourish in this offense. Again, the asterisk cares at least for a half because I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll talk about his second half, but, um, you know, and the defense again is opportunistic and they're getting turnovers. So the teams did, did what they had to do to win. It wasn't pretty. It wasn't perfect. And it wasn't, I'm sure what they exactly, what they drew up, but you know, this is the kind of game that shows that the Browns are at a point now where they can win a game that where, where, where they kind of have a just on the fly. So.
1: Yeah. I mean, to me, again, this is just another case of really good coaching they, they just seemed like they knew what they wanted to do. And, you know, even with that second half, as, as tough as it was with Baker turning the ball over and the Colts making a run. Welcome to the NFL. Welcome to playing teams who are probably going to be playoff teams. It's not going to be easy. You know, you don't just go win games by 30 points in the NFL. Sometimes it's a little ugly, sometimes it's a little tough and you got to figure out a way to win. And I was really impressed with how the Browns figured out a way to win this game. We got another hand up. Uh, It's Terry, so I'm going to ask you to unmute. And Once you do that, you are good to go. Go ahead, Terry.
5: Okay, I uh, am so impressed with the uh, coaching decisions and the planning and everything, but I don't want to be negative. But there's one thing I still am complexed by is in the game against the Ravens, we were doing on specialty teams, the short kicks trying to, pin them down and that didn't work and then we switched kickers and then we went to the philosophy the last three weeks of kicking it out of the end zone every time today we went back to the short kicks and we got burned and I thought we had a good specialty teams coach what is he thinking (laughs) Scott or Doug you guys want to take this one I mean,
3: he's letting, you know, he, Mike Prefer has a great reputation. He's letting the Browns down right now. I mean, that, that is a, that was a killer return in that moment. and And I don't know. I don't know. I think you make a great point and, and I don't know. And I'm sure he'll be asked this week when, when everybody gets to talk to him. But to me, it's inexplicable in that moment. Like, why are you trying to. Force a return, just take the touchback. It, it makes zero sense to me when you have a lead like that, and you immediately let the Colts back in. It's a great question.
4: Yeah, I, I think this may be the last time you see that for a few <laughs> more weeks. I think it seems like they could go back to that tried and true uh, uh, practice of just kicking it out of the end zone. I'd like to see the, uh, the all twenty-two to kind of get an idea of where things happen there. But um, yeah, I mean, the last few games everything worked. And, and now they go back to that and then they get burned. And you're right, Doug, that was just a huge momentum shift because you just come off um, scoring yourself and then you just give it right back. It's like it never happened.
1: Um, yeah, it, it, let's take a, let's spin it back to the positive here. Though speaking of Cody Partey. How about giving him a little credit? Um, that was a clutch kick at the end. It basically sealed the game. It did seal the, the game for the Browns. Uh, he, he's been really reliable this year, but, um, you know, Mike Prefer is a guy that just sort of insists on wanting to make teams return the football, uh, and it obviously has not worked out well for this team, and, and it's something they're going to have to just adjust and stop doing.
4: Uh, the, I'm key, take- the key for Parky is one doink. Just limit it to one <laughs> doink, and you're good.
3: Sure. I do think sometimes, this happens a lot in special teams, when you are into your depth in your defense sometimes, and you're into your depth where guys who normally play special teams are having to play on offense or defense more. And then you have other backups on special teams. Sometimes that can get you. And again, we saw, you know, for instance, you know, Ronnie Harrison and, 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 and some of the, li- I don't know who was out there covering on that. I would like to get a look at those 11 guys and see if there's a couple guys who maybe are out there in that moment who they're not used to having out there. No
1: but question.
3: Uh, Sean, I'm going to come to you one second. One thing I, uh,
1: one thing i want to point out too is with no training camp it feels like maybe they didn't get a chance to identify some of those guys too all right sean uh you can go ahead i unmuted you uh, fire away
4: oh great love the game today i just wanted to get your opinions on the defense other than sandejo who i think is a train wreck i think a lot of these guys are playing pretty well
1: can you talk about Goodson or Taki Taki? Or I mean, I'll, I obviously Garrett is a
4: stud, but the other guys I thought played pretty well.
1: Yeah, so I, I mean, I actually saw Taki Taki make some plays today. Um, I thought the linebacking core, just on its surface, did okay. Um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see as we go back and, and rewatch the game. Um, you know, Indianapolis got some stuff going there in the second half, especially on the ground, which, which was a little concerning, but let's go this way. I mean, is there any reason at this point to just not play Ronnie Harrison, a bunch of snaps?
4: <laughs> no, I, I mean, holistic way of putting it. I, I don't know if that matters as much as the fact that this whole defense is built around what the front four can do. And if they can get pressure consistently, then, then this team has a chance to, to get turnovers and, and make plays and whether it's Ronnie Harrison or Carl Joseph or whoever back there, um, they have to get pressure. There was that point where, in the second half where Richardson, I think was in the tent and then Jordan Elliott went down. And um, I think it was only maybe for a play, um, but you know, the depth uh, you start losing the depth then then you're in big trouble on this team. I think the Colts ran like two or three straight plays right up the middle um, when they, when they had issues uh, keeping their frontline guys out there today. So, um, you know, teams are going to attack where they can attack and if the Browns can get pressure, which i am I mean, they've gotten pressure on just about anybody then then they have a chance it's you know it's those front four it isn't so much who's playing in the back although I do agree Sendejo uh has been an, an issue at least uh in coverage this season
3: and and obviously Larry Joby out all the whole game which I thought they missed him obviously but there it still feels like they're working some stuff out I mean that they're four and one and they're trying to still figure out personnel stuff on the back end you know Jacob Phillips tracked a guy down in the open field today that might have been the most athletic play that a linebacker has made this year. And I thought Malcolm Smith is playing better. Maybe he's going to play more and they're still figuring out the safety stuff. So it's like, they're, they're figuring this back seven out on the fly and winning while they are doing it. And I still think it's reasonable to think that in the second half of the year, they'll have a better grasp on this than they do now. And it will, it can only get better because there are, you know, they had a couple, they had gave up two long pass plays early that are again, just like, miscommunications or blown assignments or, or putting a guy who can't cover somebody in a tough situation and you're giving up a 35 yard pass. And I think that'll just get less and less as they figure this out.
4: Well, they're able to figure it out because the offense is scoring 30 points a game. Uh, I saw a stat on Twitter. It's like the first time they've scored 30 points in four straight games since 1968. Um, So this offense is something we haven't seen in a long time. and, And it is giving the defense a little time to figure things out
3: and I just want to emphasize that everybody sees this, but last week they played a team in the Cowboys who had an, an unbelievable offense, no defense. This week, the Colts have a great defense, but don't really have an offense that scares you. The, the Browns were more balanced than both those teams. And that's why they won, right? They kind of had to hang on to win, but as bad as their defense is in some ways, they still are more a more balanced team than a, a lot of other teams out there.
1: Yeah, I am a little concerned that there were, there were moments when the Colts moved the ball pretty easily. And this is not an efficient Colts offense at all uh, there. I mean, when you look at some of the efficiency numbers, they're down lower third of the league. Um, so that, that's still a little concerning, but if you can cancel that out with a little turnover luck, uh, you, you'll you be okay. Uh, all right. Ellis just joined us. I uh, wasn't sure if he would, because I know he's watching some NBA finals right now uh, as well. So I don't know if Ellis will be a little distracted when he talks to us, but <laughs> What better time to start talking about Baker Mayfield uh, than when Ellis jumps in the room? Uh, We've talked a little bit about the first half of the game when they asked Baker to throw the ball 28 times. Um, For the most part, he did pretty well, got help from his receivers. Ellis, what were your thoughts on Baker today?
6: Wait, so you guys don't want to talk about the Lakers being up 30 at halftime? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. Baker Mayfield. Um, you know, a real, a real mixed bag today. He looked, um, really effective and efficient when he was put in situations that he's comfortable in that they've repped. Um, I think one thing we really got to notice and now that it's on tape, we're going to see going forward unless Stefanski makes some adjustments, which I'm assuming he will, but, uh, that, that play action pass bootleg left, uh, clearly became something that Stefanski was, Uh, leaning on and the Colts just took that away uh, in the second half Uh, it's going to be interesting to go back and watch the tape and see exactly why that was I think I think Justin Houston just stopped playing the run and just played the boot that's what it looked like at least to get right in Mayfield's face Um, but when he doesn't have those you know comfort plays uh, things get they get tough the the Austin Hooper pick is going to be a a tough one for him to go back and watch Um, my gut tells me he just couldn't see w- w- the, who he was throwing to there and just trusted the spot in the area to which he was throwing. Uh, but again, film breakdown will and pre-snap, looking at that, will will tell me much more. Um, so again, mixed bag. I thought it was a really interesting. Baker said it was his worst game he played. I, I heard that right in the post game, right? He, he was being yeah. pretty, yeah, yeah, pretty hard on himself there. Um, but he wasn't helped by a, a lot, a few drop balls. Those, some of those Jarvis Landry drops are uh, just... I guess you say ish happens, but, you know, you, you, as a receiver, you, you just you can't have those drops. And they know that those are two of the most professional receivers in the game. Um, so, yeah, uh, uh, an interesting performance. I, I, You know, things like the speed option that they ran to pick up that that third down. Those little things are what Baker brings to this, this team. Uh, but when we do the big macro look, you know, you obviously don't like the 56 percent completion percentage. And again, Baker said it himself. He said it was his worst game of the season. So um, still a lot to learn about Baker Mayfield.
1: Yeah, I just did some quick math here uh, in the game, book. it looks like it was two of nine in the second half. Um, yeah. 19 yards, two interceptions. Uh, I have no idea what that And that's when
4: both of Landry's jobs, drops happen too, and yeah, we, happened
1: too. Yeah, which is part, I mean, to be fair to Baker, that's part of the story because those were throws that Jarvis needs to catch and get past the sticks. And it is a different second half for him if Jarvis makes those plays. So uh, it, it's kind of those receivers gave in the first half and took away a little bit in the second half. Doug, I know you wanted to talk about this. So what did you think of Baker's performance?
3: I thought he carried him in the first half. I, I thought that the receivers did help him out. He missed a couple throws high, which I think if DeForest Buckner's in your face, sometimes that might happen. But they, they couldn't run it in the first half. And if if Baker's not making any throws, and I thought almost the Hooper interception later it feels like he was feeling it a little bit. He had hit some stuff, maybe in the middle of the field. Then he starts to feel it and then he rips one. And now, okay, now you didn't, you didn't see the coverage. I think he did have OBJ open on that throw. It was probably a bad read too. But I thought in the first half that was like, okay. And this is what I wrote right after the game. They've built up all these other things around him, the offensive line and the running backs and the high paid receivers and a coaching staff that calls good plays. And then that first half against the the number one DVOA defense in the league, he was good. He threw for more yards in the first half, like than he had in any game this year. And, and, and if he hadn't been as good, I think they would have been in a lot of trouble because, and, and I, I would want to get to it at some point. I thought they missed Nick Chubb. And I think like all week we sort of had a debate. And I think a lot of you guys thought like, they'll be fine. Like the cream hunts. Good. They, I think they missed him. I thought they really missed him. And so I think if Baker didn't hit some of those throws in the first half, this would have been a very different game. And then the second half was awful. I mean, it was, I mean, there was nothing, but they had built up enough of a lead and miles made a play and they, they did what they needed to do on defense to win the game. But I, I thought, I thought it was a little odd that he said that it was his worst game. Cause I thought in the first 30 minutes,
4: he was really good. Baker's first half is what ideally you'd have him be at, at the end of a game in this offense, you know, Over 60% completion percentage, a couple touchdowns, just over 200 yards and and they're winning, you know, but that was one half. And, and, you know, it worked this time because they figured it out in the second half did enough to win. And I did
3: think they've been really good in the red zone there. He had the red zone scramble and pass to hunt that I thought was really good. The initial, all five guys were recovered, covered initially on that. And he stayed alive, hunt found a spot and got open and as much credit as Stefanski and the offensive staff should get for dialing this up, th- there have been a couple times in the red zone when Baker and his receivers in scramble drill have found a way to score.
6: Yeah, the, both those uh, – I don't know if the Higgins touched on what went on as a red zone when I, I, I forget how far out they were. But both the Hunt and the Higgins scores, I mean, that's all Baker. I mean, that—that that, that is him extending the play, rolling to his right, where he still is – I mean, he's one of the deadliest quarterbacks in the league when he can roll right in the red zone like that. And then just knowing how to find Higgins in the, in the zone there um, was impressive. Also, I think we got to give the Colts defense credit here, too, when we're talking about Baker in the second half. They refused. They just stopped giving Baker zone coverage. Really, there, there were still some some deep zone going on. But those corners uh, stepped up when man coverage uh, gotten the Browns receivers faces and made. Baker make tougher throws, and, and that's when you the running game then opens up, and I think that's what we saw unfold in the second half.
1: Okay, this is going to be terribly on-brand for me. But, Doug, I, you said it, and I do agree that to an extent, yeah, they did miss Nick Chubb, but can we guarantee that Nick Chubb would have been better against this Colts run defense? Yes. I mean, in, in the end, Kareem finishes with 20 for 72, 12 for 56 in the second half, and he adds in the three catches for 21 and a score.
3: Nick Chubb would have been better in the first half. The the tailbacks they ran at 20, the two tailbacks were what? 20 the average 3.7 yards per carry. The two the two tailbacks, Johnson and Hunt, 28 carries for 104. And I just thought they weren't getting as much on their own in the first half. And I just think and I know the stats were, you know, Nick Chubb had the most yards after contact and Kareem Hunt was second. I just thought Chubb would have done more on his own against a really good defense in the first half and they kind of stacked it up. And so, yeah, it did. They did free up a little bit in the second half because they changed their defense because the passes work working. Maybe they warmed down a little bit, but I was Ellis all week on got to watch the tape was worried about them overusing Kareem hunt. And I, again, we got to that point. And it's what I love third and nine trying to put the game away and they're giving it to Dearness Johnson because like Kareem Hunt doesn't have anything left and it worked. So it worked. I mean, it's like, we don't want to sit here and complain. I mean, it worked, but I, I you know, I I thought, yeah, let's not forget that Nick Chubb's pretty good and I thought they missed him. Ellis, I, I
1: know you want to say something. I, I don't want to entirely disagree, but the only reason I push back is it's, it's one of those, it's just one of those things we can't definitely prove, right? Like we don't know that Nick Chubb would have gone out there and put up 50 yards.
3: He's I mean, number one in the NFL point. in yards after contact. I mean, like it's one of those things uh, I, I, we, you have to decide at some point, we have to decide he's either like the best running back in the league, which means if he's the best running back in the league, then you miss him or you can run with anybody. It's the scheme. It's the wide zone. It's the great offensive line. What I, I thought, I thought they missed him, and so yes, we don't know because he didn't play. But if we've seen enough of, enough of Nick Chubb over the past three years, I thought he would have gotten a little more in the first half than what they got.
1: Yeah, I, I shouldn't say I shouldn't say they didn't miss him because, like you said, I mean he should have won the rushing title a year ago. But uh, LSU, I don't wanted to say something. I know B Guard wants to jump in and say something too. Ellis, go ahead.
6: Yeah, I, just one thing about yards after contact. Sometimes I, I I worry about that stat, and going back and watching the tape will will tell me if Nick Chubb could have. Uh, got more on those runs because yards after contact generally says that the Browns or the runner is getting to the second level and then making a a, a linebacker who's out of position or a a safety a DB um, miss because of a weak arm tackle or something like that. You know, Nick Chubb's not running over defensive tackles in the backfield and then gaining yards. So if the Browns just weren't winning up front in general, it probably doesn't really matter who your running back is. Um, So the tape will tell that. Second point real quickly here. Uh, and I wrote about this. I am so impressed with that third and nine play when exactly uh, I know someone said it. you want to keep Cream Hunt healthy. I, I teased it all week and, and fresh, more importantly, fresh for those type of plays. Uh, it was one of the most critical points of the game. And Kevin Stefanski went with his bread and butter, which is becoming power left, which is just the right guard lead blocking essentially around the left side or hole and then bounce. Um, and that right guard was Chris Hubbard. It wasn't Wyatt Teller and that running back, was D'Ernest Johnson and not Kareem Hunt, spelling Nick Chubb. So two Browns backups step up huge in the most important moment of the game. That's coaching, that's teaching, that's attention to detail, and then ultimately execution. It's extremely impressive.
1: Okay, feed guard, I just asked you to unmute. So if you want to go ahead and do that,
0: fire away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And quite frankly, Sunday fun day for crying out loud. And (laughs) we got the win that's what matters. And, uh, but then let's start in on some of the other diatribes. Uh, I think it was funny, like the first half, I kept sending memes to like my buddies about the invisible man. And I just kept including uh, people from the secondary, mostly the safeties. uh, And it was kind of humorous to some degree. What I was worried about the most, I think going into there as the game transitioned was, you know, how many warm bodies can we continue to take off the uh, field that have continuously going into that blue, that magical blue tent. And uh, it's something to look, you know, hopefully we don't have to deal with going forward on a regular basis, but for crying out loud, like, you know, my heart's already pumping hard enough in here, as you can see, but for crying out loud, like, I mean, it's just, you know, this this is a long season, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. You know, what, what can we do going forward to try and curtail this? And I think, uh, the gentleman that just spoke, uh, said eloquently in some ways, get more folks involved as you know, in the offense and the defense. And, and they do have, this is the last thing I'll say about it is the depth on this team is showing up and you can mute me again. (laughs) The depth definitely showed
1: up today. Um, you got to give credit to a lot of guys that were put in situations where they needed to make plays, and, and they managed to do it, and, and that's a credit to those guys for staying ready. And again, that's a credit to the coaching staff for making sure that these guys were ready to step in and perform. I but mean, I guys think going in. Touchdown.
4: I'm sorry. I was gonna say guys going into the blue tent is one thing. Guys not coming back is another. And you know, you saw Baker come back. You saw you know Richardson come back. And I know um, uh, Treader or Teller had the calf thing, but that didn't come across as something that uh, is going to keep him out for uh, a length of time. So um, yeah, I mean, people stepped up. I mean, Harrison, Redwine, uh, even Dernis Johnson, who finally, you know, made his one big play that needed to be made. And uh, you know, I think, I think at least in Redwine's case, I think you have to see more of him because that had to be the first, that might've been the actual first snap he was on the field for. I don't know if he'd been out there before that, but I know it Harrison went to the tent and that's why he was on the field to begin with. So. They stepped up.
1: Those, those were Red wine's first defensive snaps of the entire season.
3: I think Hubbard's a great example of this. I think Hubbard, as a starting right tackle, was overpaid and being asked too much of because he was really a backup in Pittsburgh who was forced to start, and then he was signed here as a starting right tackle. And he wasn't good enough. As your sixth offensive lineman, He's filled in for Conklin at right tackle. He filled in for Teller at right guard today. He's a really good sixth offensive lineman. That's a huge difference in his role. You're the starting right tackle every week. You're not good enough. But now your main backup is a guy who has started a lot in the past. And you can see he's done his job when he's come in. And that's what good teams have. They have a sixth offensive lineman who they're paying decent money to. They renegotiate his deal, but he started in the past, whereas bad teams wind up reaching for guys who actually are backups and and pay them a bunch of money to start. I think Chris Hubbard is a great example of why this team is better.
1: Okay, uh, Ken's got his hand raised. So we're going to ask Ken to unmute and you can go ahead.
5: All right. Well, hey, um, great win. Uh, my son and I uh, texting back and forth during the game was like, when can we just sit and enjoy a Browns game? Because uh, you know it always seems like it's down to the wire. But you know this is the first time, and I'll make a comment. But the question uh, comment is: you know, I love what our organization's doing. Finally, I mean, you know, it helps that they're winning. Uh, but uh, you know, the decisions that uh, you know Stefanski's making uh, right before the half, taking his time, getting down there, and getting at least a field goal. I mean, how many times over the past 10 years have we seen them screw that up and uh, not be able to do that? So uh, and then I made a comment uh, earlier when I was on the pick thing that uh, Baker was going to have a big game. I really felt like they were going to have to throw it a lot more today. So what do you think we're going to have to do against Pittsburgh to be able to uh, compete and play with them, you know, for uh, 60 minutes?
2: Who's, uh, who's, I'll, I'll
5: who's
1: got there? I, I watched that Pittsburgh game a little bit today, and I watched them play the Texans, but I, I haven't watched them super closely just yet. I'm going to dig into them here in the next couple of days.
6: Yeah, I'm, I'm writing the preview right now. Pittsburgh is dang good, and you guys are all longtime Browns fans. You don't need to, to hear that to believe it, but Big Ben's back. Uh, they've got a rookie, uh, Chase Claypool, scored four touchdowns today. He's explosive, 6'4", 240 pounds, a rushing touchdown, and three receiving touchdowns. Um, they sacked Carson Wentz five times today, I believe. Um, it's it's going to be a, a tough game. This is a Colts-like defense, but with a much more explosive offense. That's that's the skinny.
1: Although to be fair, everybody sacks Carson Wentz five times.
6: There
3: you go. <laughs> oh, true. <laughs> and, and I think part of it, Ken. I I, I might disagree on some point. I think there have been a lot of games over the years with the Browns where you didn't have like, you like you weren't like oh no what's going to happen? It's like oh they lost by twenty. Like, I think this is actually what it's like to win in the NFL. Like, you know, who plays games like this every week? Like the Seattle Seahawks play games like this every week for like five years, but they're great. But I think every week their fans are like dying because they, it's they're you know, it comes down to the last four minutes. When you are good and you play good teams, I think this is life. It's just, this isn't, this isn't what it's been, but I think like the path to the playoffs includes another three or four wins that are going to be just like this. Maybe you'll beat the Jets real badly or beat the Giants badly or the Bengals again, but they're going to have to win more games like this. So like, get ready, man. Buckle up, Ken. This is it. This is how you win, which is like, isn't that wonderful?
5: Well, that's
4: this is, go ahead, this Scott. Is how you do it is you're a big, hairy American winning machine. Right. And that what Baker <laughs> said after the game, okay. that's going to, that's not on a t-shirt already. It's, it'll oh be there. know
1: it's a race. It's a race for all the t-shirt companies to get that made. <laughs> oh, come on, b Let's keep this PG.
6: <laughs> hey, real real quick, can, can I mention something quick? Yeah. Uh, I think it's really important to highlight the fact that this team only had two penalties today. Um, that is just winning football. And when your quarterback starts struggling in the second half, you can't get the run game going in the second half. And you do have the best player on the field in Miles Garrett it's nice not to have penalties that beat you too. And I I thought maybe Malcolm Smith would get a a roughing call when he threw, I think they're running back down once. But other than that, this team is so disciplined. Yes. Offensive holdings are down, but man, this team is disciplined.
1: Yeah. And I I want to go back to Doug's point. I I think it is really important to note that this is not, I, I mean, this isn't like college football where there's just a clear, you know, this is the class and they're going to win these games by 30 points. And then there's, you know, the, the lower class. I mean, certainly you have teams like the Jets and giants, like, like you mentioned, but I mean, the chiefs lost to the Raiders today. So, I mean, l- listen, that game's not going to be a gimme in a couple weeks. It, it's really right. difficult to win in the NFL week to week. There's so many variables. There's so many things that can happen. It's just, you know, there are more teams now that are kind of mismatches more teams like the Jets and like the dolphins last year, teams like that, although the dolphins were the 49ers today, You just never know what's going to happen week to week in the NFL. And that's why four and one is so important because what's going to make the playoffs in the AFC eight and eight, nine and seven, if seven teams are in. Okay. So now you only need to win five more games. And I think it's for for five and six and make the playoffs.
3: It's refreshing to realize that other teams do dumb stuff too. I think in the past, sometimes it felt like the Browns were the only team that ever did dumb stuff. If Baker Mayfield had just chucked the ball out of bounds under a little pressure and taken uh, an intentional grounding penalty for a safety in the end zone today, we would be going crazy. (laughs) Phillip rivers is making like $25 million a year and, and did that and basically ended their chances of winning. So it's, it's sometimes it's nice just to let the other guys do something dumb too.
1: Yeah that's uh oh Ken is jumping in the chat saying that both of his predictions came true uh today he wanted to point that out in our uh, our football insider can you put those in the chat Ken I can't remember exactly what they were um if, if you can type those in but Ken was our, our picker this week on uh on our picks pod on Friday which apparently we got to get Scott on the picks pod now as I mentioned earlier he's our uh He's our guru. He's got a like Ouija board or something sitting
4: there in his yeah, I predicted. I predicted Miles Garrett would be involved in a safety. I think, and I predicted a here at Ronnie Harrison touchdown. I was a little off on the score, but they were tied at one point in this game, <laughs> 10-10, and I was feeling good.
6: Me and Ellis yeah, went down. I'm, sh- I'm shocked they didn't tie. Wow.
4: <laughs> everything. Yes. Everything Dan yeah. just yeah. said there earlier about how it's so hard to to know what's going to happen week to week. The same goes for predictions.
1: Yeah, there we go. Uh, Harrison pick from Ken and uh, Hollywood touchdown. And Sean also says, speaking of dumb plays, how about a fair catch on the four yard line? Set up the safety. Killer.
3: I'll tell you what, Donovan Peoples-Jones makes me a little nervous. I I I never feel like he is exactly sure of himself. But if he had done that, we would be going crazy right now. That was an unbelievable play for them to make. And, and again, it set them up to lose.
6: Yeah, yeah a, a goofy game for uh, both teams, on uh, special teams-wise today. Uh, you know, the re- return kick and then the Colts fair catching that there. Um, you're right, down people's Jones makes me a little nervous sometimes. Um, I'm, I'm confident they'll get that cleaned up. But, yeah, an, an odd game. And then the, the last field goal doinked in. So just one of those odd special teams games, I guess.
1: All right. Uh, any other thoughts, guys? Before we uh, we call it a night here on the uh, the Orange and Brown Talk podcast.
6: Just quickly, Miles Garrett has the, been the best player on the field these past four weeks. It is so impressive to see what he's doing. It just it, defensive ends change games, but he's affecting the game like a basketball player. I mean, offense or defense, he is the best player on the field. And if that trend keeps going, the Browns are going to have a shot in any game. Yeah.
3: I I, I don't I don't want to like if they don't beat the Steelers, they're still good. Can I, I I don't want to, we all went a little crazy in week one when they didn't beat the Ravens, right? We keep gathering information about them as they win. And the other thing I find, find the six losses, find the five more losses that make them 10 and six. It's, it's not easy, but I'll tell you what Pittsburgh next week might be one of them. So let's just, you know, let, I, they absolutely can play with the Steelers, but as Ellis knows better than anybody, because he does the preview, the Steelers are explosive at the skill positions. They're really going to test the back seven uh, of the Browns, and and they are going to get after it up front. And TJ Watt is going to be in the backfield, and then we're going to see we're going to see how Baker handles that. So let's strap in and, and have a fun previewing this week. But they can be a really good team, and maybe be four and two a week from now.
4: Yeah, I mean get ready for what is the most anticipated game and I don't even know how long. It's what the first time since ninety four, both the Steelers and Browns are three games over five hundred. You know, that's we're gonna hear a lot about Bill Belichick this week. I know that. <laughs> but it's it's gonna be a fun week to preview and, and look forward to because it's a Browns game that, that means something. And I know Doug's right, you know, they can lose this and it doesn't crush their season, but this, this game means more than it has in a long time. So you should enjoy it.
3: I think there are three playoff teams in this division. So all these games matter, but I think there are three playoff teams in this division.
4: We, we had a, uh, a football
1: insider text us. Do we think the AFC North is the best division in football? It's, if it's not, it's certainly in the discussion.
6: Right hey, now. you guys are taking my lead for my preview story. What the heck? Come on. Uh-oh. <laughs> We're teasing it. We're teasing it. Yeah, there
1: we go. Uh, Hey, before we go, I want to tell everybody about uh, Terry Pluto and his Medicare Guide webinar on October 22nd at 2 p.m. It's presented by Cleveland.com and Medical Mutual and will help simplify the complex process of finding the right Medicare plan for your needs. Terry, together with our experts from Medical Mutual Western Reserve Area Agency on Aging and Discount Drug Mart, will guide you through the process and answer your most pressing questions go to our cleveland.com Facebook channel and click on the Medicare event for more details and registration. Uh, So check that out if you're interested. Uh, All right, that'll do it. Our post-game edition of the orange and brown talk podcast. will be back with you every day this week. Of course, we'll have our five daily pods. We'll have our two got to watch the tape pods. So you got to get subscribed to this feed because we give you seven podcasts a week. I don't think there's any other uh, podcast feed that is giving you seven podcasts a week specifically on the Cleveland Browns. So you got to get subscribed uh, to that got to watch the tape on tuesday right correct okay so uh, and then we'll be back tomorrow or actually on monday tuesday i don't know i don't know what day it is i should have just stopped there we'll be back at some point with our next daily pod for everybody doug scott ellis mary Kay. i i'm dan